Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. I hope you're bracing yourself for what is sure to be the storm of the century. Uh, why is it that when it snows or there's even a like a whisper of it, that we all buy bananas. Has anyone noticed that? <laughs> I haven't eaten a banana in 20 years, but golly, I'm not going to let a snowstorm keep me from having one today. Our text this morning is John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Uh, this is a very well-known passage in all of Scripture, and we have the privilege of being able to hear from the Lord in His Word this morning. Uh, if you're panicked that Brad's not preaching through John, as he mentioned last week, he is not here this morning. He's in California, and no, he's not auditioning for some sort of pastor gig in Los Angeles or something. He's preaching at uh, the church of a dear friend of ours, Rob Golding, and he'll be uh, actually preaching there in a few hours. So let's, let's pray for him as we even pray for ourselves that the Lord would speak to us here and meet with us. Let me pray. Father, we, we do thank you for the privilege of hearing from your word. <clears throat> we know that on our own, we, we are not smart enough, we are not wise enough, our eyes are not opened enough, our ears cannot hear well enough to understand all that you have for us. But because of your love for us, because of your incredible grace towards us, you delight in revealing yourself to us. So Lord, would you, would you open our eyes and our ears? so that we can hear from your word this morning that we might be changed. We, we want to know you better. We want to love you more. Help us to do that as we hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And, and we ask the same thing for, for Brad and the church that he's preaching to this morning. We, we pray that you would speak through him there and minister to the saints. Minister to all your people worldwide this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. It's a lot. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read it all, so hang in there. And then I'm going to uh, bring up three points that I think are really prominent in this text. <clears throat> Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, for he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. <clears throat> they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. There's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to digest. I think there are three main points in this passage, or that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to talk about anyway. <clears throat> three main points. The first is this, and I think this is maybe the most obvious of them all. Jesus is the light of the world. There you go. If you know nothing else about this passage, you can go home resting in that truth. Jesus is the light of the world. He says it very plainly, I am the light of the world. And I think it's important for us to keep it all in context, not just the context of John, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but the context of all of Scripture, the image of or the imagery of light, is pervasive throughout all of God's word. Light is one of the first things that we witness in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go to Genesis 1, verses 3 through 4, the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Light is there right at the beginning. And light is present and a focal point of God's word also at the end. If you go to Revelation 22, verse 5, it tells us this, Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Light is present in the beginning, <clears throat> literally. Light is present at the end. And light is present everywhere in between as a major image in, the, in, in all of Scripture. Most notably, God's uh, salvation and his provision in the Exodus is marked by the presence of an incredible light. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says that the Lord went before the Israelites by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. 
in the Exodus. The Lord leads his people through the wilderness with a massive column of fire to light the way. In fact, it's interesting that the Lord Jesus here in chapter 8 would even describe this relationship between God's people and the light as one of following. Did you catch that? He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He could have used any verb, but just like the Israelites followed the pillar of fire, so Jesus beckons his people to follow him, the light of the world. This Exodus event, though, is not just, it doesn't just take place there in Exodus, but it's commemorated throughout Scripture. And God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, the the Jews going into the New Testament, even some of the people that Jesus is talking to here in the temple would have spent an annual feast commemorating this provision and sustenance and salvation of the Lord in this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire in what's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. See, the Israelites, as they traveled through the wilderness, they would constantly set up tents or tabernacles for themselves. And even after they entered the promised land, one of the things that the Lord had given them to do that they would always remember what he had done for them was a Feast of Tabernacles, a Feast of Booths, where they would bring in the harvest, they would celebrate the Lord's provision for his people, And even in this day, as Jesus is speaking to them here, the Feast of Tabernacles was known for lighting lamps throughout the temple as a way of illuminating the whole space and remembering the Lord's leading them with his light. So when Jesus says these words, he's not speaking it out into an empty vacuum, you understand. He's, he's speaking to them something that transcends just maybe our own philosophical understanding of what light is and does and brings. But, but for the people who heard him and for us today, we must hear him saying not just that he is the light, but rather that, that he is our only hope of salvation that in him the Lord provides for his people all that they need. This is clearly a major emphasis of Scripture. It's a major emphasis even of John's gospel. As we read several weeks ago in chapter 1, if you recall, turn there with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Let's parse this out, the statement that Jesus makes, because there's so much packed into this one little sentence that you may not have noticed. I am the light of the world. I am. Let's start there. I am. That may seem like a pretty innocent statement to make. You may use that in your own vocabulary every day. I am going to the store. I am tired. I am hungry, right? 
But here in John's gospel, when we see this phrase, especially on the lips of Jesus, there's so much more connoted in those words. In fact, John's gospel is known for what are called I am statements. And in his gospel, there are seven notable I am statements that Jesus utters. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In Exodus 3, when the Lord meets Moses in the burning bush, and Moses, confused, wonders who he is supposed to tell the Israelites has sent him, the Lord tells him, I want to give you my name. You can give my calling card to the Israelites. Here's what you call me. I am who I am. And and throughout Scripture, his name is I am. Anytime you look in the Old Testament and see in all caps, L-O-R-D, that is a a fill-in, a stand-in for that divine name, sometimes called Yahweh or Jehovah. But throughout Scripture, the Lord is known as I am, the I am. And when Jesus says those words in, in Greek, here in John's Gospel, not Hebrew like in the Old Testament, there's this equivalent And when he utters those words, there are clear echoes. And even in this passage that we're studying this morning, here in chapter 8, he utters this phrase multiple times, three times in fact. It's as if it's a thread being woven through this passage. He says, I am the light of the world. But then later on in verse 24, if you turn there with me, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. If you go to verse 28, he says this. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. There's no mistaking Jesus' claim, and, and by consequence, John's claim here in his gospel, that the one true God is speaking when Jesus speaks. There's just, there's just no debate what John is claiming here. There's no debating what Jesus is saying of himself as he utters this phrase. Okay, let's go to the next bit of what he said. I am the light. And we've already discussed how, how light is an image found throughout Scripture, but let's talk about what it means, what it, what it brings to light as we think about it. I think maybe most prominently is salvation, Light and salvation oftentimes go hand in hand. If you look at Psalm 27, verse 1, it says this, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's it's, it's no coincidence that these two things are, are lumped together. What are the stakes of Jesus being the light? He says later in verse 12 there, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness. He says in verse 21 that that you, you will die in your sin apart from belief in him. He says in verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. <clears throat> when we talk about walking in the light versus walking in darkness, we're, we're not just talking in metaphor or, or an abstraction. But Jesus is saying here that that unless you know and understand him to be the light, 
You are walking in the darkness of sin and death. There's just, there's just no, other, there's no other option. If you are not following him, you are walking in darkness. I don't know how many of you have ever been in utter, complete darkness. And I don't mean that metaphorically either. I mean, literally, have you ever been in perfect darkness? Uh, several years ago, I went with uh, the youth group uh, to a spelunking, a spelunking trip, cave diving, whatever. <clears throat> Not my thing. I'm never going to do that again. But at one point on this trip, you, you get pretty far down in these tunnels and caves and crevices. And, and at some point, at a certain point, you get to a place where, where daylight can no longer reach. Where, where the entrance to the cave is far enough away and winding enough of a path that, that there's no way the light of the sun can reach it. And this is called perfect darkness. Um, and so when we went on this trip, the, the guide was like, hey, you guys, you guys want to see perfect dark? You want to see what that looks like? Sure, why not? Uh, let's do it. And so we all turned off our headlamps and flashlights and everything, and you're in utter, complete darkness. You know how eventually, eventually, you know, you turn off the lights at night, for example, and <clears throat> you can look around the room, you kind of know, and maybe you're familiar enough with the place anyway, where you, you know where that dresser is, you know, where that pile of toys is so you don't step on it, uh, but you can kind of make out the shadows after a couple minutes. But when you're in, when you're in complete darkness, you can't see anything. It's very disorienting. Uh, you, 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 can't, you, you don't really even know up from down at some point because you have no bearings. You have no way of understanding where you're at, what, you, what is going on around you, or even what you're doing, where you're going. That, that's what it's like to live apart from Christ. The problem is that so many, in fact, everybody apart from Christ is, is born in perfect darkness. And, and you have no idea what you're missing. You have no idea what's going on. When Jesus says he is the light of the world, what, what he offers is, is salvation itself. From sin and death. And from all the myriad ways our own flesh and sinful nature corrupts us so that we don't even know up from down anymore. He's our salvation. Light is also a, a way of, under, of thinking about uh, knowledge and wisdom. Just think of all the key words here in this passage. Uh, he mentions the witness, the testimony, bearing witness about who he really is. He talks a lot about truth, what is true. He says a lot about knowing. He speaks about judging and judgment. And these are all words of knowledge. These are words that, that, that bring to mind wisdom and understanding or the lack thereof. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that God said, let light, let light shine out of darkness. The same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light also goes hand in hand with life. Verse 12, uh, again, he, he mentions that, that uh, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, God's presence to bless his people. 
to provide for them, to sustain them. And I think on the flip side of that, also to, to judge his enemies, to protect and defend. I am the light of the world. Let's look at that. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he, he's pointing out that, that his status as light, the light, is not exclusive to one nation or people. Even the Israelites who initially followed the pillar of fire. The, the, the hope has expanded worldwide. There's no distinction among people. He's not saying necessarily that, that the world walks in the light by default, right? I think that's important to understand because he points out very quickly, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Nevertheless, whoever, that whoever follows me is open to anybody on the face of the earth. So how familiar are you with this notion that Jesus is the light of the world? I mentioned at the outset that this is a really well-known passage. This is a very well-known phrase. I am the light of the world. At this point, you've heard me say it so many times, you're not even sure what it means anymore. It's one of those things, you just say it over and over again, it kind of loses, it loses its meaning. How familiar have you grown with this passage? Maybe you've been a believer for most of your life, and you look back at this verse, and you, you think, yeah, 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 no, I know that, I got that, I got that. Yeah, Jesus light of the world, light of the world. I understand. Uh, but, but what is the light of the world for you? Yeah, Jesus is the light of the world, but have you seen the internet? There's nothing you can't know. There's nothing you can't do. And, and we're not even talking about the bad stuff. There's, there's, there's no limits to all the great, wonderful things you can do and learn and know and experience through the power of the internet. You know, we joke about it, but, but think about it. how often do we start our days going to the internet rather than going to the word of the Lord? That may seem like a cheap shot, but I think it's a real fruit of what's going on in our hearts, right? Is Jesus the light of the world or not? There are so very tangible, very, very simple ways to discern whether he is the light of the world to you or not. Is he the light of the world? You know, another way you might, you might wonder or, or discern if you've become overly familiar with this concept is you, you look around and you say, who, who am I surrounded by? What, what kind of people do I find the most affinity with? Is if you look around long enough and you find yourself surrounded by Canaanites, you, you might not be following the pillar of fire anymore. I, I think that has a lot of, of truth in it, especially as we, we think about just the last few years of, of incredible cultural and political upheaval that we've gone through. I think it's, very, it's been very easy and, and difficult, actually, in some ways, for Christians to, to navigate this world without finding themselves making very strange bedfellows who aren't following the light of the world, and yet we, we find that we have more in common with these people than we do with the people of God sometimes. 
Is Jesus the light of the world for you? Your life should look differently because you're following something completely different than the rest of the world that's living in darkness. Maybe you're unfamiliar with this. You, you, you're hearing me say this, and, and maybe even on some level, you're a bit opposed to the idea that Jesus would be the light of the world. And you catch that definite article, the, that doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room for other lights. In fact, it leaves none. Uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says that he has delivered, Jesus has delivered everyone, or rather the, the Father has delivered everyone who is in Christ from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Are you walking in darkness? You might say, no, there's not a chance. But let me ask you this. How, how would you even know? Hear me out. If Jesus is the light of the world, if he is the capital I illuminator of all that is true and good and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, how, how apart from him would you know whom you're following or the merit of what you're doing? Right? Either his claim is true that he is the light of the world, or, or it's not. But if it is true, then the only way you can know you're walking in darkness is if, is if and when you've seen him. That's the only way you can know. We'll talk more about this here in a moment, but think about that. How would you know you're walking in darkness? How can you trust your own sensibility? What if you've been living in a cave your whole life and, and all you know is perfect dark? How are you going to know that? You have nothing to compare it to. So this is a monumental statement, right? And, and yet it is one of 19 verses in this whole passage. He says it at the beginning and then we spend another 18 verses sort of talking about it. But it's mainly focused on the Pharisees' response to him. And I want you to notice what their response was. Not, whoa, this is unbelievable. Tell me more. How can I follow you? They don't say that. And they, they don't even give him a, you know what? I'm willing to entertain this idea. I just need a little time to think about it. Could you, could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what you mean? They don't even give him that. Instead, they look at him. Light of the world, huh? Says who? That's the best they've got. Says who? Prove it. You're, you're the one telling us this, but you know, I can't, I mean, come on. Of course you're going to say that about yourself. I need a little bit more evidence, Jesus. I need, I need a few more witnesses to corroborate your testimony here. They're clearly challenging him. They're clearly challenging his offensive teaching. Deuteronomy 19 establishes that for the testimony of anybody to be true, there needs to be at least two witnesses to it. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. In fact, in chapter 531, Jesus himself says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So on some level, this is a bit of a this is a this is a legitimate question, but at the same time, it's very transparent. The Pharisees are trying to, to win the argument, so to speak, on, on what amounts to a technicality. 
And frankly, it's one that, as the text shows, they don't really even understand. Point number two, Jesus's testimony is true. Number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Number two, Jesus's testimony is true. How can we trust Jesus's authority and self-attestation? He's saying these things about himself. How, how can we know that he's legitimate in what he says? That's basically what the Pharisees are asking, but it, it's something we need to ask ourselves. For one thing, and I mentioned this earlier, but let's backtrack here. If he is the light of the world, if he is the, the height of, of, of illuminating knowledge and salvation and wisdom, then then he's really the only way we would know that, right? I mean, there's, if, if you're appealing to a higher authority, then you, you've established a new light. If there's some other authority that needs to corroborate his authority, then, then now we don't have him being the light of the world. We have him being a light of the world and, and a lesser one at that because you have to appeal to something else to just prove what he said was true. But if he is the light of the world, then, then on some level, you simply have to believe him. He says, I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. And, and this is in direct contrast to the Pharisees, of course, who have no clue. They do not even have the, the faintest beginnings of understanding Jesus' heavenly mission. He says, you judge according to the flesh, but I, I judge no one, in verse 15. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? It's not that Jesus is anti-judgment. In fact, in verse 16, and then again in 26, he speaks very openly and clearly about how he does judge. And if you've ever read Revelation, for example, you know that Jesus being the righteous judge at the end of all things is not like a small little piece of the biblical puzzle, but it's a major event. And he is the capital J judge. So when he says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. What, what's going on here? I, I think what's, what's happening, what he's saying, is that he's not a judge in his earthly ministry and certainly not one according to the standard of the Pharisees. And remember, the standard that he's just pointed out is one of the flesh. Uh, these men are, are deeply unspiritual in the truest sense of that word. They are not guided by the Spirit of God. They have no understanding of the truth of what God has spoken, though they think that they do. But rather, they're guided by their flesh. And so they judge according to the flesh, and they look at Jesus, and they cannot fathom how he could be the light of the world. This makes no sense. This is deeply offensive. But Jesus says, nah. You, you, you guys judge according to the flesh. I, I'm not, we're not on the same page. We, we don't see things the same way. In other words, you lack sound spiritual judgment. And while we're on the subject of judgment, let, let's actually point out that you, the Pharisees, are really the ones on trial here. Jesus flips the script. For, for a moment, they think they have him. For a moment, they're the ones questioning him. You can't say this about yourself. you need, you got to have at least one other person corroborate your story. And in the next minute, he's completely flipped it. Now he's on the offensive, and he says, okay, all right, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. The 
The Pharisees are once again, they're unable to understand. They ask him, where is your father? I don't see anyone around that even looks remotely like you that you could even claim was your father. Maybe they knew of Joseph, maybe they didn't. They're thinking of a Joseph. They're thinking of, of, of some, some guy running around who can say, oh yeah, no, that's my son. He's the light of the world. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure. That's what they're, they're kind of hoping, I guess, will happen. Where is your father? We don't see him anywhere. And Jesus says, essentially, yeah, exactly. If you really knew me, you would know whom to look for. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. You would know the one who sent me. Is this, is this circular reasoning? Is Jesus in some sort of logical fallacy here? It seems difficult to really prove what he's saying. <clears throat> On the one hand, it's impossible to claim to be the light of the world by appealing to some other necessarily higher authority. We've established that. But something else is going on here. He's appealing to the witness of his father, the one who sent him. Maybe Jesus is lying. Okay, that's an option. Maybe he's delusional. That's a possibility in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it's a possibility. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe he's correct. But the point is, for, for the Pharisees and also for you, you have to make a decision about that. You have to decide. For some people, there is simply not enough evidence in the world to convince them who Jesus is. And I found, uh, and maybe you have too, that the objections many people bring to statements like this, declarations like this from Jesus, that he is the light of the world, many of these objections generally are not to the sufficiency of witnesses, sufficiency of the evidence that's been presented, as important as that may be, but rather the objections are to the implications of whatever the claims are. Right? We know this. For most people who, who reject the Lord, maybe you're one of them. Your rejection of the Lord is maybe on the surface about the testimony of, of evidence for or against what Scripture claims of him. But I bet if you really dig down, you'll find that your objection has very little to do with the evidence at all and a lot more to do with what you do and don't want to be true. But back it out here and remember this. That if Jesus is the light of the world, you cannot trust your own judgment to determine what is true or not. You can't depend on yourself. And if Jesus is the light of the world, frankly, you need him. You need him to reveal himself to you. Now, that may be a hard, uh, hard thing to think about and hear. But, but I think this is actually one of the most hopeful truths in all of Scripture. Because then the essence of faith, the essence of 
belief. As Jesus urges the Pharisees to believe here. It, the essence of it all is, is one of walking in the light of heaven. Who is Jesus himself? Now, apologetics is a really important discipline. I, I think it's really worthy for Christians to pursue understanding and defending the gospel and scripture from a, from a, a, a logical standpoint, a rational, reasoned standpoint. I think that's a worthy discipline. But, but, but it's one that, like every other subject of knowledge in this universe, is subject itself to the witness of heaven. So think about this, though. I said this is a really encouraging, beautiful truth. And this is why. Think of the reassurance you have as you evangelize, as you share the gospel, even in your own walk with the Lord, that ultimately, seeing the light of the world for what he is doesn't hinge on you. It doesn't hinge on your eloquence or your wisdom or the things that you know or don't know or have forgotten. It doesn't depend on, on somebody else's ability to comprehend things perfectly or, or even well. But when the light of the world shines on you, you see rightly. When the light of the world shines, you see rightly. And I think that's the essence of what Jesus is arguing here. The Pharisees reject him outright because he doesn't have enough witnesses, but he points out, no, my witness is a heavenly one. And if you're not walking in accordance with, with the heavenly witness of my Father, you, you're, just, you're never going to understand this. I, it doesn't matter what arguments we bring to, tape, to the table here. You simply will not see it. Which is all the more reason why we proclaim Jesus and why we look to Jesus ourselves for hope. Number three, you must believe. You must believe. Overlooked oftentimes in Scripture when we think about sin, it's not overlooked by Scripture. Let me rephrase. It's overlooked by us when we go to Scripture and think of sin. That, that unbelief is itself sin. That unbelief is itself rebellion against the Lord. In fact, that's really the first rebellion that takes place when the serpent goes to Eve, he questions. He says, did the Lord really say this? He's challenging her on the basis of belief. Do you trust the Lord or not? What did he say? Can you even, can you even like, trust what he has said? And from that moment on, the seed is planted and the world has been flipped upside down where our baseline, our foundation is that we are prone to disbelieving and questioning and challenging what the Lord has said and, and who he even is. It's the state of every human soul apart from divine intervention. So in that sense, for the Lord to, to leave a person in darkness is not unjust. It's the baseline. In another sense, though, for the Lord to shine the light of his Son on you is the height of mercy and grace. And it's a privilege that he delights. He delights to reveal himself to the world through his son. 
Verse 21, Jesus says, I'm going away, and you will seek me, but you will die in your sin. He's not saying you'll seek me in a saving sort of way, but rather you'll seek me in a hopeless, mired in the ineptitude of sin kind of way. According to your earthly wisdom and your earthly judgment, you'll come looking for me, but you will not be able to find me that way. You, he says, are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not. And the Pharisees can't even grasp his words. In fact, they just assume that he's talking about suicide, even though he does refer on some level to his death. Verse 24, he says, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And, and they're the Pharisees. They completely miss the reference, and they essentially say that you are whom? They don't know. But yet Jesus, he's revealing himself to them as the I am, the God of all of the Bible. He is the mouthpiece of God the Father, the merciful forerunner of God's justice, God's own Son sent to the world as its only light. Verse 28, though, he gives them the, the key, and he points us to to how we can know and believe him. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Then. In his, in his exaltation, when he is lifted up, but not only in his exaltation into glory, but even in his lifting up onto the cross. This is where the testament of the Father who sent him and the willing, perfect, beautiful obedience of Jesus perfectly, finally, they culminate here at the cross. And so he beckons them and he beckons us, he beckons you. How can we know? How can we know who Jesus is? How can we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is, in fact, the light of the world? It's not going to come through reason. It's not going to come through some sort of some helpful tool or tract or, or argument. It will come simply, gloriously, by looking to the cross, where Jesus himself bore our sin and all of our darkness, and where he cast his light over all of creation and initiated a kingdom that is coming, that will one day find its ultimate fulfillment when there is no need for light anymore because he himself will be the blazing sun at the center of it all. That is what is on display when you look to the cross. And, and that is what you and I are called to believe. I, I hope you see how beautifully simple and straightforward this is, and maybe you're tempted sitting there thinking, well, this is something for, for unbelievers to hear and know. Absolutely not. This is the foundation of the Christian life. When you have lost sight of this, you are now walking away from, you are no longer following the light of the world, but you are actually walking in opposition to it. If you are not constantly, always looking up from your tent to the fiery cloud that leads God's people from glory to glory. That's the Christian life. That is the hope of the world. And that is how we as God's people can navigate such incredibly weird times 
with joy and with hope and with patience and with love by looking to Jesus alone. So there is a real need for believers to display that glorious light rather than filter it through our own schemes and wisdom. How can we be little mirrors that refract this glorious light to the rest of the world that they might see and believe? How can we corroborate the testimony uh, Jesus has spoken? And, and the truth is, even as in our faith we do validate and verify what Jesus has said, our faith is, is evidence of his work of salvation because he has overcome the sin of unbelief that is only possible at the cross. Even as we do all that, we show that the same one, the same Father who sent him has also opened our eyes that we might know him for, whom he, for who he is and so even then, as we testify to who Jesus is, all of it is the Father graciously intervening in the world, revealing himself to his people. Do you, do you, is Jesus the light of the world? If he is, follow him with all of your allegiance. Follow him and walk in the light rather than darkness. In a moment here, just as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, which is itself a declaration of all that the Lord has done and, and said and is for his people, we gather together as God's people and we receive the bread and the cup that we might proclaim the death and resurrection of his son. It's just, it's just one little moment where we light a, a, a match and reveal this light to the world and, and to one another. And where we are reminded what it is that we believe. So this is not something to be done flippantly. It's something to be done with great joy and, 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 and gravity. So here in a moment, Paul and the band, they're going to come up. They're going to lead us in singing. The ushers will be spread throughout the sanctuary at various stations with the communion elements. Uh, and if you are a believer, when you are ready, would you, would you get up, would you go get those elements and return to your seat, hold on to them, so that Springer can lead us in receiving these things together. Uh, I, I'll just say, too, if you're, if you're in this room and you're not a believer, man, we're so glad that you're here. And I would love any of the pastors, any, any believer on your row would love to talk with you more about, about what it means to follow Jesus. Having said that, don't feel the need to do anything with the Lord's Supper uh, as far as receiving it yourself. Don't, don't say something by taking the Lord's Supper that you don't really mean. And so I would urge you, if you're not a believer or you're not sure, just, just stay where you are. Um, and, and, and if you have questions about the gospel, we'd love to talk with you more afterward. Or, or you can meet with one of the elders at the information desk to talk more. But let, let's pray. And let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper and exalt the Lord, the light of the world together. Father, we, we thank you for, for your word. We know that you have revealed yourself to us, not because of anything we've done, not because of our wisdom. It's because you have delighted to, to illuminate our hearts and minds. Your word tells us Jesus is the light of the world. Or would we be people of the light who display that to everyone around us, showing that you are our most prized treasure, that all our allegiance is to you,
even as we follow you in faith. Lord, would you, would you bless us as we receive the bread and the cup together? Would you care for and nurture our souls? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.